morning, friends, and welcome to St. Matthew's. Uh, to those of you who are with us here in the building, it's great to see you. And uh, to those of you who are online, uh, it's great we can connect in this way. So great to see you here. Uh, the great reality that we know because of the coming of the Lord Jesus is what God is like. And uh, we know that he is the one who rules everything. But in the midst of everything that he does, he has his loving eye on each of us. So let's sing as we stand, praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Please stand. Praise to the Lord, the Lord. 
great to sing with you. Please be seated. Uh, welcome again uh, to those of you who are in the building this morning, and it's nice to see our numbers gradually increasing as we return to, to some extent, business as normal, with uh, these services across uh, the day open again. Uh, for those who are guests this morning, uh, both here in the building and online, my name is Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here at St Matthew's. Uh, my particular roles here are involved with uh, the folks who normally meet here at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning, uh, together with pastoral care across our family of congregations. Uh, but welcome, it's good to have you here. Uh, when I began working as a senior minister of a large church, I, um, I worked with a colleague who was 25 years my senior. And uh, the only regrets I have about working with him are that I, I didn't listen to absolutely everything he suggested to me. Uh, there are a couple of occasions, especially early on, where I chose to basically ignore what he said, and uh, it was much uh, to my regret. Uh, this morning, uh, we continue as we turn to God's Word in, in the Gospel of Matthew, the, the story that changes everything, the story of Jesus. Uh, we pick up quite familiar themes from last Sunday, uh, that famous sermon of the, the famous parable of the sower, or of the seeds or of the soils, as we heard Bruce say last week. So much of that is about listening to everything that Jesus said. And Scott Petty this morning will, will be taking us into a little group of, of parables which really highlight the value, the, the essential character of making sure we take to heart everything that Jesus has said. In fact, all that God has said in his word. Uh, this morning we'll also be, towards the end of the service, sharing together in the Lord's Supper. Uh, for those of you at home, if you haven't got uh, some bread and a cup to drink from, uh, that'd be good to organise before the end of the service. But right now, I'm going to lead us in prayer and asking for God's help. Our God, you are good. As we gather together in your name, we ask that you would help us to engage with you that with open hearts, with open minds, we'd listen carefully to your word. With humble hearts, we'd come to you in prayer. And we pray for your mercy, that we'd li you'd listen as we pray, and that you'd move in us by your spirit, so that we respond to what you say in ways that please you and bring great benefit to others. Amen. Our God is good, and we've got a chance now to say together, using the words of the Apostles' Creed, what it is that we believe about God in his goodness and his greatness. So please join me as these words come up on the screen. Yes, they're there. Let's, uh, let's say this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. 
Amen. Well, welcome again to our guests. Uh, we love having guests with us here at St Matthew's. And we'd love to know that you've been with us. Uh, you could let us know um, by using the QR code that's coming up behind me. Or, of course, I'd love to meet you if we had a, haven't had a chance to do that. Uh, so please come and say hello. Straight after the service, we, we share together in morning tea through this door and across the courtyard in our function room. We'd love to um, uh, meet you there as well. Uh, one of the features of life here at St Matthew's is not just what happens on Sundays, but especially what happens in what we call our growth groups, uh, small groups of, of members of St Matthew's who come together uh, on a weekly basis to engage with God and his word and to try and help us... Help, help one another understand what it means and how it applies to the way we live. It's also a chance for us to be praying for one another and just getting to know one another. So many people find these beneficial, but not everyone's taken up the opportunity or is aware of it. Um, so now would be a really good time to join one of those groups. They start for this year, not this week, but the week following. Uh, so please let me know, or Scott actually oversees this ministry at uh, St Matthew's, so you could also speak with Scott straight after the service or contact us at the office. Stuart was away with quite a number of our young people a week or two ago and he's here to tell us about how the summer camp went. Thanks, Stu. Well, good morning, everyone. It's lovely to see you here. Uh, I sneak in to 8am every now and again, but I'm usually sitting at the back uh, on the streaming gear, uh, so it's lovely to be able to talk to you. Uh, I'm Stu, I'm the youth minister here at St Matt's, and just two weeks ago we went away with 115 young people, uh, around 20 of those were our leadership team, uh, up to the central coast for our annual summer camp. Uh, which was such a great way to start the year. It's a, it's a huge part of our calendar in our youth ministry uh, year, uh, and it's a huge part of our church as we invest in the next generation uh, growing up as young Christians uh, in this world. And it was a fantastic way to start the year. Uh, we were a little bit nervous about if it would be able to happen or not with uh, Omicron and all that was going on, uh, but praise God, and, and thank you for your prayers. We were able to pull it off. We had no COVID cases whatsoever in the 115 people there. We had two new young people follow Jesus for the first time, and it was just a fantastic way to start off our year. So I wanted to come and personally say thank you uh, for supporting us as we minister to these young people uh, in a tricky world to be a Christian, especially as a young person. Uh, and thank you for your prayers uh, and your other support as you uh, help us do ministry. And to give you a bit of an insight into what our summer camp was like this year, we've got a short video to watch made by one of our very talented leaders. So I'm going to throw to that now uh, and uh, hope you enjoy a little glimpse into what we got to experience as we kicked off our year. Uh, praise God that went so well. And we, we thank God, Stu, for you and your ministry. We've got a chance to sing now. It won't be a familiar song to all of you, but we get to sing a number of um, choruses. So once you catch on, uh, please join the singers as they lead us. Let's stand and sing. And uh, this will be our collection here. Yes. 
Everybody, I'm reading today from Mark 4:21 to 34. You can find it in the Pew Bibles on page 1005. I'll just give you a moment to find it. He said to them, "Do you bring a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed?" Instead, don't you put it on its stand, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. 
If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measures you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, welcome to you guys at home as well. Great to be together. If you can keep your Bibles open to Mark chapter 4. It's going to be helpful to us all, I think. Now, today we're thinking about kingdoms, and I wonder if you could design and build your own kingdom, what it would be like, what would be the special features that would characterize the kingdom of Keith or the kingdom of Christine or whatever kingdom it is named after you. I think in the kingdom of Scott, we would prioritize thoughtful consideration of others and civility. In my kingdom, people would be self-deprecating but respectful of others, hardworking and yet still jovial. As for special features, lawns would be lush and green and neat and tidy and roads would be black and smooth and free from cars whenever I wanted to ride my bike. In fact, they'd be free from cars whenever I wanted to drive my car, for that matter as well. Um, and you could eat ice cream without getting fat. I mean, I'm not talking about gluttonous amounts. Uh, just one ice cream a day without side effects other than sheer unbridled happiness. That's my grand vision for the Kingdom of Scott. Lawns, roads, ice cream, civility, respect, laughter. I wonder what your kingdom would be like. Well, obviously today we won't be thinking any more about your kingdom or my kingdom, but instead focusing on the Kingdom of God. And that's what the parables today give us an insight into. In a way, they're design sketches of the Kingdom of God, and today's parables connect tightly with the parable of the sower or the soils that we looked at last week from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. They're all about the kingdom of God. In fact, you can see that there in verse 11. I'd like you to look where, uh, at verse 11 where Jesus said to his disciples, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. So last week was about the kingdom of God, how you become a part of it by listening to the word of God and letting it take root and bear fruit in your life. But today's further three parables about a lamp, about a growing seed, about a mustard seed are also about the kingdom of God. And we want to be a part of the kingdom of God, don't we? 
So it's worth us tuning in attentively. Now, just to step back for a minute, we've resumed our study of Mark's Gospel, where we started in first term last year. You might remember last year, we only looked at chapters 1 to 3, so we picked things um, up from chapter 4 last week, and we will tread quite carefully through until chapter 8 at Easter time. But today, it is further parables of the kingdom. What do they tell us about the kingdom of God? What does that mean for us who hope to be a part of the kingdom? So three kingdom parables providing three kingdom insights. Whoop, there we go. I need to go back one. How does that work? There we are. Excellent. Well, firstly, the parable of the lamp seems simple enough at a glance. You know, bring in a lamp, turn on a light, and then deliberately conceal it, do you? The whole purpose of the lamp is to shed light on an entire room. And so you read there in verse 22, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out in the open. And we think, of course, well, that makes sense. Of course, the question is, but what's the lamp? Like, is the lamp you and me? You know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Is it talking about not hiding our talents and our gifts? You know, not keeping them to ourselves in false modesty or more pointedly, not keeping the good news about Jesus to ourselves, but being that city on a hill, you know, being that salt and light that illuminates all those around us to the greatness of God. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? The, me- the metaphor of the lamp is so common, it can apply in lots of ways that you have to be quite attentive to the context to work out what it means. And so I think in a chapter that is all about the secrets of the kingdom of God, at a juncture that is at the outset or the early days of Jesus' public ministry, he's actually talking about himself as the bringer of the kingdom of God. He's talking about his own mission, which will culminate in his sacrificial death on a cross and his triumphant resurrection from the dead, which is the given way by which he will initiate the kingdom of God. He'll bring it upon the earth, at least in its infancy, if not in its fullness. So there is Jesus, early days of his ministry, with just a pretty rough band of followers called the Twelve, some other hangers-on, and a crowd who follows him wherever he goes, but they're largely attracted to his novelty. Early days. And all that was to come, which we know about, would not have been obvious to the Twelve and the others just yet. I mean, Jesus is the light, the light of the world, no less, and he would not remain hidden for long. But you've got to have eyes to see it. You've got to have ears to hear him. And two millennia later, you and I, friends, need to have the memory to recall that he is at the very center of God's plans for the universe. And so whatever the plans we have made for our year and our family, well, Jesus needs to be at the very center of them. For he ought not to remain hidden in our lives either, nor in our aspirations. That's the first parable. Second parable in verses 26 to 29 is sometimes called the parable of the growing seed. And again, we see a very basic domestic agricultural metaphor in play. A man scatters or sows the seeds and then it sprouts and it grows. Verse 28, first the stalk, then the head and then the kernel before it ripens. Now look in your Bibles, the emphasis in this parable is in that repetition of ideas in verse 27 and 28. It sprouts and grows, though the man does not know how. All by itself, 
the soil produces grain. Okay, so imagine yourself as a farmer or a gardener. You go to bed at night, you wake up, the stalk has pushed its way through the baking soil. You attend to other jobs throughout the day, check on it again in the afternoon, and the head of grain is forming on the stalk. Next day you wake up and the kernel, the, the real meat of the plant, has developed. It just seems to happen. You don't know how it happens. All you know is that it's not because of you. Now, I understand this farmer's or gardener's dilemma because I like or I try to keep my garden in some order, but I've got I to gotta say I don't understand much of what goes on out there. For example, right now I have a sprouting crop of clover on my back lawn. I've got no idea how this happens. I didn't plant it. I haven't tended it. I haven't fed it. I tried pulling it out, and yet it continues to grow. I tried spraying it with a specially formulated spray that was meant to treat the clover, which I think is a code word for killing it, without harming my other plants or, or the lawn itself. But it turns out the clover loves the spray, and it was some of my other plants that got the treatment, if you know what I mean. But actually, you don't know what I mean, because that's the whole point of the parable. None of us know how this stuff grows. It just does. And even when we try to stop it, it keeps growing. Now, clearly, friends, this parable is not talking about seeds and weeds as such. It's talking about the spread of the kingdom of God. And it's saying this kingdom is not advanced by human methodology. There's something mysterious in the way that it spreads and grows. And it's not really something that we humans can manipulate or control. Night and day it spreads when we sleep, when we get up seemingly all by itself. Now, the thing about metaphors is you can always press them too far. So it would be a mistake for us to conclude from this parable and the all-by-itself bit that we humans have no responsibility in relation to the spread of the kingdom or we have no response to it. But he's already spoken in the parable of the seeds and the soils that we need to listen well to the Word of God. But this parable is to say that the kingdom of God is powered by God, by the means set by God, and not by human strategy and scheming. And that's great news for us, because we know the means God has given us to propel the kingdom of God forward in manly and beyond. It's by first hearing and then proclaiming the word of God, isn't it? It's by prayers and petitions of all kinds like we've done in this week just past. It's by loving one another and serving those around us. Now, of course, we're going to have to organise how we're going to do that here in hopefully the most efficient and effective ways possible. But, but what works in the organisational world, what works in the business world, what works in the political world will not necessarily work when it comes to propelling the kingdom. God has his own means of operating and it's spiritual in nature and we uh, can and we do play our part in it, but friends, let's not pretend that we can somehow wrest control from him and do it better our way. We use his man's means to advance his kingdom. He doesn't need us. He can work well enough without us. All by itself, the kingdom can grow, and yet graciously, he invites us in to play our part. Well, that's the second parable. Third parable is the parable of the mustard seed. And again, very simple to understand. Something that starts so small, you can barely see it. Oh, so small, it's as if it were hidden 
yet it grows to something large, large enough to become a home for many. This is a uh, picture of the mustard tree in uh, kind of the desert world. The kingdom of God, which begins with Jesus' resurrection from the dead, it's just like that. It starts with 12 and maybe 100 others gathered timidly in Jerusalem. But it has grown and grown and grown across every generation, across every inhabited continent, so that you cannot say that the Christian faith is a Western religion. You can't say it's a white man's religion. It's growing rapidly in the East and in the South amongst non-white people in poorer countries and millions upon millions upon millions gather under its shade. That would have been impossible to understand and unbelievable to these first hearers of Jesus. And yet we know it to be true, for it has turned out just as he said it would. So that's the kingdom of God. It starts small, perhaps even hidden in the early ministry of Jesus. But it grows and it advances in ways that are often difficult to analyse, in ways that are beyond human strategy, but with an undeniable momentum across the planet to this very day. And so other than taking heart that what Jesus has described here uh, at the very infancy of the kingdom of God has become true in the generations and in the centuries since, what does this mean for you and I today? What ought to be a kingdom response to the kingdom parables? Funnily enough, the answer is very similar to last week when we considered the parable of the sower, the soils, the seeds, however you want to describe it. We should expect that if these parables are grouped together. The answer is to hear well. You see that in verse 23. Have a look. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. You conclude that in the final two verses of the passage where it reminds us that though Jesus spoke in parables, common metaphors, understandable language, he needed to explain everything to his disciples. In other words, they needed to hear. But perhaps most vividly, you see that in the stern words of verse 24. Let's read them together. Consider carefully what you hear, Jesus continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Consider carefully what you hear. If you take to heart the word planted within you, you let it take deep root in your life so that it bears fruit in all sorts of faith and good deeds. You, Friends, this is a promise, right? You will receive a deeper knowledge and a love of God in the life to come than you can even imagine by faith right now. It's a promise Jesus is making to us today. But if you do not take to heart the word of the gospel scattered or sown in your own heart, because your heart is hard, that is, if you refuse the gospel word to you now, you will have even the mention of hope and light that it brings removed from you, taken away. I need you to understand Jesus is not mucking around at this point. Consider carefully what you hear. 
I'm quite glad the application for today is basically the same as last week because it gives us a chance to practically think about how to do that here at St Matthew's this year. I've got a number of suggestions. Some of them are good suggestions, but they're just suggestions, which is to say if you don't want to do it my way, that's okay. But however you do it, you must consider carefully what you hear. It's simply disobedient to consider carelessly what you hear, to listen but not care, but to not give a rip. And so my first suggestion, friends, this is whether you're in the building, whether you're at home, is to come to church week by week and to prepare yourself mentally and spiritually by praying that as the Word of God is read and taught, you will hear. Now, honestly, friends, that is something you can pray in the car on the drive down to church. It's something you can pray even as you're walking along Dali Road between the car park um, to the front door. It is possible to approach your service of worship with a degree of planning and intentionality rather than just squeezing it in amongst a number of other engagements during your week. Consider carefully what you hear. Part of it, it means when we have our Bible readings, you get your Bible out and you, and you follow along. Many of us do that. When um, someone like me, the speaker, mentions a verse, you actually read the verse along with me. Consider carefully what you hear. You might even bring along a notebook and take notes. Most of the churches I've been in my life, that's what people have done. Be a good thing to do. When you attend a growth group, which some of you do, uh, and, and there are questions for discussion from the passage you've just read together, answer them from the passage you've just read together. Not from your past experience, because you might have interpreted your past experience wrong. Not from what a previous minister might have said. Not even from what one of your current ministers might have said. Because they might have got it wrong. Or you might have heard them wrong. If your group is doing a video series or you're working through a Christian book, you've got to read the Bible references that it gives and you make sure that they are being used properly. Otherwise, how will you know that you are listening to God rather than just a very clever human? Consider carefully what you hear. Now, this might be um, telling some of you how to suck eggs, but in your personal life, uh, you want to read at least a few verses every day. Chunk of Scripture. And if you don't know what to pray, you can pray the Lord's Prayer. And we can all do that. You can slow it down by writing key verses out and noting reflections upon it, like Nathan encouraged us to do. If you've never kind of been in the habit of reading um, the Bible and you're good with your phones, you can, you can download the Bible app. It looks like that on the left from the App Store. And you can sign up to a reading plan. You can see that's the middle thing circled there. It makes it very easy to hear from God every day before you check the news before you start scrolling through your social media feeds if you're one of those kinds of people consider carefully what you hear now allow me to um, answer some possible i wouldn't call them objections right but thoughts that might be going through your head as i've said this some of us might say though probably not allowed i just don't have time I don't have time to read a bit of the Bible each day during the week. I don't know how I ever had a job. I'm so busy in retirement. I don't have time to plan to come to church with intentionality, as if I were meeting with the everlasting God rather than just going to my community group or, or whatever else it is during my week. Uh, I want to say, yeah, we do have the time. We've all got the time. 
Professor Scott Galloway is a New York University professor. He's charted the growth of um, non-voice smartphone usage in America. And this is what his graph looks like. Uh, I don't know if you can see it, but friends, that is a horror story. <laughs> it reveals that four hours and 23 minutes is how much time Americans spend on their smartphones every day not talking to other humans. Represents a third of their day. That's shocking. Equally shocking is that in 2010, that is just over a decade ago, it was only 24 minutes a day. 3% of waking hours. Now, you might think to yourself, well, they're Americans, such strange people. <laughs> we're different. We're better. No, they're Americans and we're behind. <laughs> Probably just a year or two, and that means that we will catch up. Now, I, I don't show you that graph to make anybody to feel guilty. What a fruitless exercise that is. But I show that graph because it impresses upon us all, whether we use our phones or not, that we've got time. We've got time. We may not have the inclination or the discipline or the focus, but we do have the time. Well, that's what we're working with, isn't it? Uh, and, and it might strike you that we are so silly, you know? We're, we're fortunate enough to live on a planet governed by a good God. Not only that, but He wants us to know Him. Not only that, but He's given us the very means to know Him via His gospel word contained within a thousand pages of a book we can carry around with us. Or we can even download onto our devices. He wants us to know Him. He's made it relatively simple by accommodating Himself to human thoughts and language. That must be so beneath Him, mustn't it? And yet we would rather look at the photo of, of what our grandchildren had for brunch. <laughs> Consider carefully what you hear. What if before we check the news of a morning or on the bus on the way to work for those of us still working or in that extra 90 minutes a day we now have because we're working from home or over breakfast or during lunch we read the bible a little and we prayed over it some of us have been doing that for decades some of us have never given it a go why not give it a go some of you might say i'm more of a worship kind of a fellow that's how i connect with god through singing praises might even pray a bit. I'm not really a Bible sort of a girl. I've got to confess, when I was writing these words, I was thinking of our young people of an evening, and yet it occurs to me for people like us who, who feel enriched by the organ and choral music, it's just as much of a trap for us. More of a worship kind of a person. Don't like reading the Bible so much. Can I ask you a question? you ever known somebody whenever you have a conversation with them they do all the talking you know someone like that even when they're saying nice things about you they're really saying nice things to you they don't listen they don't invite you to talk you ever known that sort of a person i think they're painful aren't they if you know harry potter they're like one of those dementors that um feed off your happiness and kind of suck the life and light from your soul but you know, if we say, I connect with God through worship, I don't like reading the Bible, you're very much like that sort of a person. You're not listening to Him, you're not inviting Him to speak to you. 
His word is his main way of speaking to us. It's his primary way. It's not the only way, but it is his primary way. You know that we're told by Jesus to love the Lord your God with all your mind, among many other things. So to effectively say, I'm going to dismiss God's main way of speaking to me because it requires me to think too much is deeply disrespectful to him. And it's the exact opposite of Jesus' instruction here. Consider carefully what you hear. Friends, we know we ought to do it. By the way, it is a joy and it's not a chore or a duty to listen to the Word of God. And we all know that we've got enough time to do it, even just a little of it. Can I encourage you to get on with it in one way or another? Of course, it's one thing to hear, isn't it? It's quite another thing to let that Word which you have heard soften your heart, change your life. We can read the Bible as though we were in an ancient book club, can't we? It's interesting, but not very effective. But we ought to read it as it is, the, the, the living word of God scattered before us, which testifies to the king who came among us by in the Old Testament predicting his arrival, in the Gospels narrating his ministry, in the rest of the New Testament explaining its significance and imploring us to be ready for his return when he will bring the kingdom in all its fullness. And we are reminded of what Jesus' half-brother James said when he tells us to not only be hearers of the word, but doers of it also. Or even Jesus' closing instruction to his magnificent Sermon on the Mount where he said, everyone who puts hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Friends, with the coming of Jesus, the kingdom has come. It's no longer hidden. And though it started very small, it has truly grown to be a global phenomenon. And even this day, millions upon millions find refuge, hope and purpose within its shade. Friends, we become a part of this kingdom by accepting the gospel word, the good news about Jesus into our hearts and letting all the words of God, which testify to His beautiful Son, take root in our spirits and slowly change our lives as we put them into practice. And that word is saying to us today, very clearly, in my estimation, consider carefully what you hear. Let's have a moment of quiet. And instead of a closing prayer... I want, us, I want to give us 30 seconds to just think about what we might do in our lives in this week, in this year, to consider carefully what we hear. It doesn't have to be one of my suggestions, but we ought to do something. 30 seconds to think through that. Thank you, friends. I believe Andrew's going to lead us in prayer. Is that right?
while that it's in prayer. And Father, we hear the words of Jesus who calls us to consider carefully what you hear. We want to praise you, Lord, for your life-giving word that comes to us through Jesus and about Jesus. Uh, we want to confess uh, those times when we've ignored what you've said, sometimes quite deliberately. Other times we've just drifted away and we've become uh, slow to hear. Father, we praise you that you want us to know you. You give us the privilege of personal relationship with you, that you've spoken to us in words that we can understand. So forgive us our inattention and help us to carefully consider what we hear, even in this week we're preparing for today, so that we might be part of your kingdom, so that we might be a part of that extraordinary growth that has unfolded since those first disciples heard these words of Jesus and shared them with others. We pray, Father, that your word would take root in our lives and bear much fruit so that you might be glorified in and through us and others might be struck by your power at work within us. Amen. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for this past week at St Matthew's of prayer and fasting. We thank you that you listen as we seek you humbly in prayer. And Lord, we pray that you will answer our prayers for renewal amongst us. We pray that we would be filled with a renewed longing to read your word and that our lives would be transformed in this year ahead. We ask for the powerful work of your spirit amongst us, teaching us and transforming us. Father, we praise you for the way that you are building your church throughout the world through the gospel of Jesus through these simple words about his death and resurrection. And as ministries open up for this year at St Matthew's, we pray that you will help us work together so that we all grow in Christ. And we want to lift up before you areas where there are needs in children's ministry, at the soup kitchen, in the English classes, and in the activities that are needed so that our Sunday services prove edifying to everyone. Lord, we pray that you'll supply those needs and that you'll keep building your church here and beyond. And today, Father, we pray with concern for brothers and sisters amongst us who are in need of care and for those who carry a heavy load of care within their families. We bring you bring before you members of our church family in later life who are entering full-time care. And we pray especially for Richard Tye and for Val Wood who've recently gone into care. And for Barbara and for John as they care for their, their loved spouses. Lord, we pray for peace uh, for those who are in full-time care. We pray for skilled and loving care for them. And we pray that you'll sustain those who provide care for them. Lord, we pray too for members of our church family here who are receiving treatment for cancer uh, and other serious illnesses. 
We thank you for the work of medical staff, for access to extraordinary care in Australia, and we pray for comfort and for healing. We pray that we will cling to you in times of trial, that even as we go through difficulty, you'd be maturing our faith in you so that we have a growing sense of your greatness and your goodness. I'll give you a moment now to lift before the Lord uh, people about whom you know who are living with difficulty. Hear us, Father, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Redeemer, who reigns with you in heaven. Amen. We're going to sing. Our musicians will come forward to lead us. Please stand.
Please be seated. Scott, I wonder would you mind bringing me my little communion pack there? And that's a prompt for all of us uh, to grab your communion pack. And it's a good idea to um, see if you can remove the little plastic bit and the foil so that you're ready to take the bread and drink from the cup when we get to that point. Uh, sharing together with, uh, with each other uh, in this, uh, this bread and this drink is something we, we do frequently uh, at St Matthew's. And it's a, it's a really concrete way for us to go back to that time, I think, when the mustard seed must have seemed at its smallest, if you like, uh, when the Lord Jesus was gathering on the night before his trial and crucifixion must have felt to the disciples especially that everything was falling apart and it, that any hopes they had of this great kingdom that Jesus had been speaking of was about to disappear. And yet it was in his death and especially in his resurrection that, which would unfold in the days to follow that the kingdom really began to grow and it has spread to the ends of the earth. But come back with me to those disciples with Jesus. Uh, within hours... Uh, the soldiers will take him, he'll go on trial, and before you know it, he'll be crucified, uh, dead before their eyes. Uh, this is what he says to them. Um, they're having a meal together, and uh, the scriptures describe how on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take, take this and eat it. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after the meal, Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from this all of you. And listen to what he said. This is my blood of the new covenant which is being poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it. See, so the blood that he was to shed was what was creating a new covenant. It was bringing it into being. It would be poured out, that blood, for, for them and for us, for the forgiveness of sins. And there's the key to the kingdom, to entering the kingdom, accepting that forgiveness that he made available through his death and through his resurrection. So we're doing the sort of thing that he told them to do, that as we eat this bread and drink uh, from the cup, we're remembering him and the significance of all that he did. Now, in preparing uh, to eat just a little bit of bread and to drink from those little cups, it's good to recognise the way that we fail to respond to God's love by honouring him and by thanking him, our need for forgiveness. Acknowledging our guilt, trusting in God's mercy and grace, we, we pray this prayer of confession. So, so let's make a humble confession of our sins to Almighty God. Please join me. Merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the schemes and desires of our own hearts 
and we have broken your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done, and we have done what we ought not to have done. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent according to the promises declared to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that from now on we may live godly and obedient lives to the glory of your holy name. Amen. I'm going to recite for you one of those promises. It's in the Apostle Paul at the beginning of Romans 8, where he says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus you've been set free from the law of sin and death. So, brothers and sisters, let's take this bread and as we eat it, remember the body of Christ that was given for us. And let's take these cups and as we drink, let's remember the blood of the new covenant which was poured out for us and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's join together in this, word, this prayer of thanksgiving and commitment. Lord and Heavenly Father, in your loving kindness, accept our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Grant that by the merits and death of your Son, Jesus Christ, and through faith in his blood, we and your whole church may receive forgiveness of our sins and all other benefits of his passion. With gratitude for all your mercies, we offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. Friends, just as we close and before those of you who are able to join us come out and uh, enjoy some morning tea together as we prepare ourselves for a week of serving the Lord but making sure that we're listening carefully to his word as we're able. Uh, hear these words of Jesus that he spoke towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. That words that Scott read for us a little while ago. He says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The words of Jesus, as we take them into ourselves, make us the wise person. Uh, they are the key to eternal life. Brothers and sisters, may the, the peace of God... Actually, would you like to stand? And... Um, as, as I pray for us. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us always. Amen.